After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by J.J. Cooper. Hello. J.J., a lot of fun playoff action over the weekend. We got a recap. Both series tied one game apiece. Uh, what stood out to me is the closeness of most of these games. Brewers and Dodgers, you have two one-run games. The Red Sox-Astros, you have a two-run game last night with the winning uh, or the tying run at the plate. There's been some time. And even, the, even, and even the first game, uh, the final score, but it was close until the very end. So, I mean, even in that game, which I think was 7-2, I think was the final, but that was even then, it was a close game that basically got out of hand at the very end. These are the best teams in baseball. We talk about this a lot mm-hmm. that, you know, we talk about advantages, disadvantages in each series, but at the end of the day, when you get to the final four of anything, you're talking about the best of the best of the best, and especially with these teams, the, the defending World Series champion, the defending National League champion, the winningest team in the American League, and the winningest team in the National League. It's just really stood out to me how, you know, we can talk so much about matchups and aces, but at the end of the day, everyone here is really, really good. Uh, I think two things that really, you know, drove it home for me, not that we ever doubted these teams are really good. A, the, the Brewers' bullpen being as great as it is, the Dodgers' offense lighting it up, and the second part of it is the Aces this postseason, with the exception of Justin Verlander, they've been hit pretty hard. We saw this series, Chris Sale got hit hard, Corey Kluber last series, Clayton Kershaw got hit hard in game one. Even the best pitchers, all these lineups can hit against pretty much anybody. Uh, That was the thing that stood out to me is um, when we talk about even Aces, again, Verlander seems to be uh, an exception. The thing that, one of the things that has stood out to me is, is we talk about Chris Sale. Chris Sale's stuff in his division series start was excellent. He had, it looked like almost zero feel for his stuff in this game. I mean, it was... The slider was a non-competitive pitch in particular. Right. And, and that's something that is unusual for him. You know, obviously then he had a stomach bug. They say that was not part of it. But when you look at that, when you look at Clayton Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw, what we're seeing here is, and you hope that there is a, a, a Verlander-esque kind of return. Like Justin Verlander went through a stretch like this where... His stuff kind of backed up a little bit in his career, and then he kind of refound it. But he was still a good enough pitcher that even when he didn't always have, you know, the ability to just blow guys away, he still could figure out ways to to, to survive. I, I felt like, and maybe you disagree, but I felt like watching Kershaw. Like this is a guy who's, again, it's not. When I say crafty, I don't want to make it sound like that. This is is he's he's trying to spot eighty seven on the corner and and, and surprise guys. But it's not the Clayton Kershaw who just blows hitters away, who we've been used to seeing for really much of the past decade. Again, you didn't see that with him. Last, you know, last night, Garrett Cole and David Price, I felt like, 
I mean, Garrett Cole obviously had some stretches where he just couldn't locate. David Price, I think expectations among Red Sox fans at this point are so low that they felt pretty good about that, which was not an ace-type start by any stretch of the imagination. It wasn't a quality number two or number three type starter right. start. But they still felt like, okay, Garrett Cole versus David Price, we came out of this feeling pretty good about where we were. It, it is true, though. It really is. It's like these lineups are so good. And the thing that stands out to me about that is, is that there, every game, I think I tweeted this last night, but every game there are pitches thrown where you think, how does anyone ever get a hit? Craig Kimbrell was a couple of feet away from being the, you know, the, the, the guy to blame in that game. Because, you know, as you said, the Astros, I mean, that, that last out, it, now again, the Green Monster is very short, but the last out did not have much more it needed to travel. And Craig Kimbrell had a fastball early in that, you know, in his outing last night that basically ran in on the hands at like 98 where I thought, who could possibly ever hit that ball? The thing that just stands out to me is, is how good hitters are nowadays that it's like, yeah, you have all these guys who throw, you know, 96, 97, 98 with quality second, you know, pitches and third pitches. And it's like, yeah, you know, the pitchers just can't sustain it against these very stacked lineups, it, it really did. I, again, I know it's 1-1 one, one in that series. I still do feel like that this is the Astros series, and the reason I say that is we got some – Rick Porcello was great last night. And Rick, if that is very useful. If, if the Red Sox all of a sudden have Porcello and Brazier and, you know, they have a couple of guys who you can really rely on in front of Craig Kimbrell – okay, I feel better about their bullpen, but I still feel like that this is going to be a battle of bullpens, and I really like the Astros' bullpen. But No, it's very, very true, but you're right. You know, we Obviously, the focus on the Red Sox' bullpen. Matt Barnes has been very, very good. Mm-hmm. By the way, he, guys like Heath Hembree, you know, Joe Kelly, who's been maligned by Red Sox fans, and fairly at times, he's come out, given him four innings without an earned run allowed here in the postseason. He's done his job when he's been called upon. That, to me, is going to be one of the continued signs. Because if the Red Sox bullpen stays alive, that, that was the flaw. Mm-hmm. If that's no longer the flaw, now given Brandon Workman has not been very good, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez did not pitch well when he's been called on, but they've got four or five guys right now, if you consider the fact that Porcello is being used in this uh, spot relief appearance twice now, who are doing their job at the end of games. And if that's the case... I think this is that I picked the Red Sox to win the series. I know you picked the Astros. We both said seven, but the Red Sox chances have gotten that much better just because of how well some of those pitchers are throwing. And that's the other thing we we've you know sometimes don't talk about enough is just who's playing well at the time. There's times where guys are great, they go through a bad stretch, and there's other times guys step up a little bit. And at the end of the day, it's about playing, you know, who's playing better quality baseball. And I think that was especially especially true when you looked at game one in the Dodgers Brewers series. The fact that it was a one-run game was kind of a testament to the Dodgers, how they were able to come back. They played crappy, crappy baseball offensively. Uh, well, I should say, first of all, defensively, first and foremost. Oh, yes, Monty Grandal, big time. But Which, there are other aspects of that game. The, I'm sorry to kind of segue, but you just led to this. The other thing that does stand out in two of these games, I, when you say what happened last night for the Red Sox-Astros game, again, one of the key things was is that the combination of Lance McCullers Jr. and Martin Maldonado did not work. Didn't click. 
And the same thing that you could say, I mean, about Yasmani Grandal. We've had two outings where catchers who have at least, uh, you know, are, have solid defensive reputations, especially when it comes to framing, both had real issues actually catching and blocking. Well, and that's where it's interesting to me, because I remember actually talking to a scout about this earlier in the summer who mentioned, you know, Yasmani Grandal, you know, he talked about, yeah, hold, do that, hold, get a ball in his mitt and just drop it. This was more than just drops mm-hmm. last night. And it's, there's a difference between when we talk about so-and-so is a good framer or whatnot and actually being a good receiver. I think sometimes those two things get conflated. Yasmani Grandal, and I tweeted out about this, he's one of the worst, in terms of just catching the baseball, he's one of the worst in the National League and has been for three years. Second pass balls this year, most pass balls each last two years. There's a lot of other plays where you watch him and he just, he drops change-ups. It's the weirdest thing. A change-up will pop in his glove and pop out. His blocking has had issues at times. But when he does catch a ball, his hands in the zone, they're fine. And it's a problem that the Dodgers have recognized. Austin Barnes, you'll remember, caught most of their postseason games last I, year. I kind of wonder and where... game two, yeah. guess who was behind the plate? Austin Barnes. Right. And, and that's the thing is, is that you... <laughs> I actually understand there is... I would... Thinking about this, and I, you know... It, you can probably still find the video. I, I had really fun diving into catching development, talking to, you know, at, at the Cubs camp a few years ago and watching their catchers really work on what they like to call presenting pitches, which is, is that one of the things that you have to learn is kind of your demarcation line. Where, how, how low can you go before you have to take the glove from with the glove with your hand facing up to where you have to flip it and put it down. Because the moment that you flip the glove to where your hand is facing down, you are not trying to present a strike. You are just trying to catch the ball, keep it in front of you. And one of the things, again, now, with Maldonado last night, it was blocking most of the time. He did have one. He had one late that actually never hit the ground. It hit his glove and popped out. I think that's how the run scored. It was that one. But, But... is blocking is very different, but there is a certain line of if you are still trying to present a low pitch and steal a strike on a low pitch, if you will, if your line on that is is that you'll go further, the other thing that it does do is is that you can let a pitch get away from you because you're still trying to catch it to try to get a strike, but it does not put your glove in good position to actually block it, keep it in front of you. We've seen, you know, again, I don't want to say that's everything here because it's not, but there, we have seen that. There's that there is almost sometimes, there are in cases where there's almost an inverse relationship between being able to steal strikes, frame it, whatever you want to call it, and actually keep the ball in front of you so that no one can go to second or third or home. I do feel like there's a distinct difference between Maldonado and Grandal on this because Grandal, this is a problem. It has been a problem for a long time, yes. and a lot of his were pitches that were soft and straight and he just missed not to mention missing the uh, the throw to the plate with maldonado it's stuff with wicked curve i mean on a pitcher he's barely caught and lance nine mccullers point, yeah. 9.1 innings this year with a guy with that much movement there were a couple with maldonado where it wasn't necessarily a pitch in the dirt it just moved a little further than he'd put his glove out and i think some of that is more just familiarity i have no concerns if i'm the astros running martin maldonado back out behind the plate this series if I'm the Dodgers, I'm questioning, and, and we've seen them not do it before, do I really want Yasmani Grandal behind the plate for much of this series? And the answer, 
ranges from we can live with it to no. You never say definitively, yes, well, we want this guy behind the plate. Especially because you have another option. A better option defensively, but Yasmani Grandal is a bigger offensive threat, and that's the calculation the Dodgers have to make. Right. And again, this is the, this is where the depth of the Dodgers stands out because, again, you do that's one of the things you do like about this team is, is that they have multiple options at almost everywhere. You know, shortstop, Manny Machado is going to play shortstop if he's breathing. But if he goes down, you feel okay putting Chris Taylor there. Yes. You, you feel okay putting Kike Hernandez there. There's still other options. And I, I love how at first base, again, I, I'm, I'm a little bit baffled that David Free's first baseman is something where we're talking about it from the standpoint of, oh, you, you want him out there. He's been pretty good. But he's Scoop, been pretty, scoop, yeah. Scooping balls in particular, he had the diving catch. Obviously, it was catcher's interference from Grandal, but he's got those third baseman reflexes, and they work. And the other thing about it, though, that stands out is, is that having Cody Bellinger, who is a wizard over there at first base, but having a, a, the athleticism to play center field. I've been really impressed. He does not play a bad center field at all. And, and I think those who watch West Coast baseball have seen that, that, hey, he's not actually bad out there. He's pretty, he's pretty solid. We've seen that now but it, on, a, but it on gives a national you a, scale. And it gives you a flexibility because you can do that early. You know, okay, he's in center. And then we've got either Muncie or Freeze. At, and, and again, this is a team that, by the way, if they get to the World Series, this is not a team that you worry about. Uh, it's an NL team. Will they find a DH? Because we've seen some of that before. I don't worry about the Dodgers having a DH to uh, turn Max to. Muncie, come on up. Yes, exactly. But they can always slide in Bellinger to, you know, in the late innings to first base, and, and that works out really well. So for the Dodgers, with this NLCS series, you mentioned they played Crappy, crappy baseball. Offensively, they did not take good at bats. Defensively, was a mess. Pitching-wise, you know, that first game, there were a lot of missed spots, mislocations from Kershaw and beyond. Even game two, they're down most of the way. And JJ, since I came to the BA office in 2016, what have I said about the Dodgers and who makes them go? You've put me on the spot. I only repeat. I repeat. Justin this, Turner. Justin I, I Turner. I this yes. literally, I think, yes. last week. The Dodgers go as Justin Turner goes. That's what he does. That was huge. Talk <laughs> we, about, game one, he struck out four times. Yes. They didn't go well. <laughs> game two, he wins the game. That You talk about one swing changing the momentum of an entire series. If you're down 2-0, if you're the Dodgers, I mean, you're going home. They're a good team. You're never really going to say they're out of it. But it's a whole new dynamic, and it's a bit of a backbreaker. I do want to ask... Are you worried about the Brewers' bullpen at all, given the Dodgers have done almost all of their offensive damage in the seventh inning or later against the vaunted Brewers' bullpen? No. I, the reason I say that is this. I know that you said, like, oh, maybe this is signs of fatigue and all. I, I just think they had a good game against Jeremy Jeffress. I, Which has been happening a couple times. Right, and Jeffress season, is the one the who's a little bit <laughs> – I still feel like Josh Hader is, is Josh Hader. Um, yes. I still feel like Corey Knievel is Corey Knievel. I, and the thing about it is beyond that is, is that I know that we can talk about it like, like Wade Miley, that was, as, that was a great outing by Wade Miley. Um, Brandon Woodruff, Brandon Woodruff, Brandon Woodruff to me right now is a perfect example of why when we talk about the opener and all, why that these things can kind of are, are starting, are spreading like kudzu. Which is, and if you're not from the South, kudzu is this weed that covers everything. Yeah, I um, didn't know what you're talking yes, about. Yes, kudzu. There. <laughs> yeah, when I grew up, where I grew up, if you saw one spot of kudzu one day, that you know, a week later, you would have kudzu covering in a whole house. Um, but, um, but 
the reason you're seeing that is, is if you ask Brandon Woodruff to get you nine to 12 outs and kind of limit it to that, I feel really good about his chances to do that. Um, they, Gio Gonzalez, again, I would not want Gio Gonzalez. If I was the Brewers and I was asking Gio Gonzalez to get me 15 or 20 outs, would not feel good about that. But if you said, we're going to put them out there to basically start the Dodgers with their, their right-handed hitting platoon, and then we're going to flip it because we're going to go to a lot of right-handers, and then if they switch it, then we've got Hader for late innings. I like him for situations like that. Um, you know, I, I do think that, I still think that the, the Brewers are going to live and die with this bullpen, but I, I mean, I'm kind of interested what you think. I still think that if the Brewers win this it, win this series, it is going to be because we say, wow, that bullpen was really good, even though Jeffers had a bad game. It's definitely going to be a huge part of it. We've seen Jolice Chassin have, again, have a really nice postseason start. Wade Miley has now had two solid postseason starts. That will be important. I think what concerns me is, you know, Hayter's a stud. We know that. Knable, uh, I tweeted out about a few days ago, right before he gave up uh, the run to Chris Taylor, but he's been lights out since coming back. Jeremy Jeffers was an important bridge in that, and he's a mess right now. He's going to have 11 hits in four and two-thirds. I know he said some of them were lucky. There's been a lot of hard-hit well, yeah, baseballs. To me, that's an important you know, Xavier Cedeno has had, hasn't had to do a whole lot, but when he has come in and been given the job to do, it's been eh. Joaquin Soria has been not great. So to me, they need that one other bullpen bridge to get them through the late innings. And I'm a little concerned that there's a hole right there now. Again, I trust Josh Hare to do, to do his job. I trust Cord Knable to, to do his job. Brandon Woodruff being the bridge, not to mention a, a power hitting threat, is a huge bonus. Corbin Burns has been fine. Uh, I, these are enough. To me, the thing that stands out is enough. this is enough guys. I just I see two guys who can get you through that fourth to six and Burns and Woodruff and Hader if you want to throw them three innings as they did in game one. And I see a guy like in the ninth in Knable. To me right now, there's a little bit of a hole in that eighth inning range where Jeffress would normally throw. I'm going to be curious to see. They, they have the bodies to maneuver to fix that, but that's going to be one of the more interesting storylines to me. A lot of people are talking about, oh, who are the Brewers going to start in Game 4? Who are the Brewers going to start in Game 4? They're holding it a mystery. They say they don't know. I'm more interested to see how they choose to finish out the 8th and ninth in Game 3. The one thing I also want to see them do, if I'm, the, if I'm watching the Brewers, is... is I don't want them to deploy Hader. In game one, they used him to get really one, I think it was his longest outing of the season. And again, I'm not faulting that. They got the W, but you've got three, four, five coming up here. To me, ideally, you want to see Hader in each one of these games. You don't want to see a situation where you use him long enough in one of these games that it eliminates the opportunity to use him or use him significantly in the other games. Because I do think if you throw Hader out there to get you uh, two plus, you know, two innings on game three, you could do that. But it also, and again, they are, they don't have many lefties out there, but you do that. And then all of a sudden you are limiting what you can get from him in game four and game five. Again, this is one of the most interesting series series to me just from a, manager matchup perspective we saw the Dodgers use their entire bench by the seventh inning of game two and we've seen the Brewers all hands on deck out of the out of the uh out of the bullpen which is kind of just you know the fun math matching up and seeing two managers kind of go at it Red Sox Astros it's get, tied one game apiece we've seen both offense come out and put up a seven uh, put up a, a seven spot for you as the series moves to Houston JJ what are you going to be watching the most well one thing I do look at it is is okay 
I kind of felt like the, the, the Garrett Cole versus David Price matchup was one that, again, in this series, starting pitcher advantage is, is, is not that significant because we are talking about guys who are usually, with Verlander's case aside, going about five innings. But I thought that that was a, that was a really good opportunity for the Astros to go up 2-0. I kind of feel a little better if I'm the Red Sox about kind of your matchups for uh, for Game Three and, and Game Four, um, and then you have to hope. I mean, again, you have to just if you're the Red Sox, you have to hope that that Chris Sale is going to be Chris Sale uh, in a in a probable rematch uh, against Verlander. But I, I do kind of I, again what we talked about earlier. Uh, to me, you know that both these lineups are going to produce runs. I want to see is this seemingly improved Red Sox bullpen, is it for real? We, you know, if it is, well, then that, that gives them a path, a much clearer path to me to the World Series than, I've, again, the reason I picked the Astros is, is I feel very confident that the Astros bullpen is for real, even though last night that was not the case. Nate Uvalde versus Dallas Keuchel in Game 3. Game 4 to me, Rick Porcello versus Charlie Morton. Morton has not pitched yet in the postseason. Mm-hmm. He's going to have a long layoff, whereas we've seen Porcello been used uh, in some interesting ways. I am going to be fascinated to see how Game 4 shakes out because, to me, that's the game that has a chance to be the decisive one in this series. Obviously, no one's going to clinch in Game 4. Um, but Uvalde Keichel, I can see that going both ways. You know, you I know kind what? of like the way Uvalde's, again. Rowan, I, yeah, I feel very good about him. Uh, but, you know, obviously no one wants to be down 2-1. But I feel like whoever is down 2-1, both teams have enough weapons. You can feel confident. Okay, we have the strength You're to come back You're down 3-1. It's probably over in the series. Game 4, to me, is a pivotal turning point. And Porcello versus Morton, I think, is going to be... It's not the sexy uh, Verlander-Sale matchup. I think it's going to be a great matchup. Two guys who can pitch. And It'll be fun. It's going to be fun. So Absolutely. Well, we, and, we keep, and we have a cavalcade of baseball. The great thing is, is because of how this lines up, you know, we just... I, I like uh, right now. I'm you know I, I I I do like the one game days. You know it's like okay we got one day to fo- one game to focus on. Absolutely fun times. Well, uh, it's a fun time here at Baseball America. Speaking of cavalcade of baseball, JJ, we've got uh, we're getting closer and closer we, to the before they were stars book. Before they were stars book is coming out soon, uh, which I we really do think you'll enjoy this. You know you want to read reports of what we thought about. Again, pick your favorite stars of the past thirty plus years of baseball. Read reports on a scouting report on Derek Jeter when he was in the minors. Read a report. Let's try to make this, you know, uh, you know. Read a report on Jose Altuve. Read a report on trying to think of guys in the, currently in the uh, in the playoffs. Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander, I believe, is in there. Manny Machado, if I remember correctly, is in there. So, guys, you know, again, read about them before they were stars. That's one of the books we got coming up. Also, we are working on the Baseball America Almanac, which is the book that basically. It's a book that, to me, it becomes even more useful the longer you have it. I have in my uh, office, I have the almanacs going back to 83, which is a, uh, a long time now. But the thing that stands out about it is it is the summary of the year in baseball. And what I mean by that is, is that you are talking the stats. It's not just the stats, though. It has the stats, but it also tells the stories of the major league season. It tells the stories in each minor league league. It tells the stories... In the winter leagues, it tells what happened in international baseball, in the draft, in college baseball. If down the road, five years from now, you're wondering, huh, that that Mississippi State team from uh, you know from 1450, you know, hey Brandon Woodruff, who else was on that Mississippi State team with Brandon Woodruff? And you 
pull out your almanac from for, you know from that era about pulled out from now I guess it'd be like five years ago pull it out open it up and go man that was really a, a loaded team and you can see things like that that it just becomes even more interesting the more years you have it and then obviously we're coming we're not that far away from we'll have the prospect handbook top 30 prospects in every organization and we'll keep going from there but first book that'll be out before they were stars which has not just scouting reports, contemporary scouting reports we wrote about players on their way up to the major leagues, guys who ended up being big league stars, but also great photos of guys, you know, before they basically became the grizzled vets that they became. Yes, a lot of fun uh, baby face photos. Well, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America Playoff Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. For J.J. Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Talk to you tomorrow. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.